game show that's been on TV since 1963 called Let's Make a Deal. Have you heard of this? You've seen Let's Make a Deal. It's kind of a silly show. People dress up in these weird costumes, and then they try to guess what's in a small box or a big box. They try to win money and prizes. It's silly, uh, but it's a pretty popular show. Obviously, it's been around for a while, but at the end of the show, the person who wins and has the opportunity to go for the big deal they have to choose one of three curtains. And it's exciting, it's uh, got a lot of tension at, the, at that moment because you don't know what's behind the three curtains. It could be something really good, could be something really bad. And I think there's a lot of people in our world today that kind of feel that way, that tension. For some it's excitement, for some it's fear. But they feel this tension over what is behind the curtain. And I'm not talking about the curtain here on our stage. That's going to be a, a, a visual reminder to us throughout the series as we talk about what's on the other side. There are a lot of people in the world today that are fearful of death. And they want to know... Uh, where is all of this going you know, with the virus, the pandemic, and they're just afraid, to, they're, they're scared to death of death. They're wondering what's on the other side. And then you've got all the, the unrest that's happening not only around the world, but certainly here in our country. And a lot of people are wondering, where is all of this going? What's on the other side of all of this rebellion? What's on the other side of the vandalism? What's on the other side of all of this rioting that's, that's going on in our country? What's on the other side? And so there are a lot of people that are maybe nervous or afraid, and they're wondering, you know, if I could, if I could just know what's on the other side, I could prepare. The night that Jesus was arrested, the night that Jesus, you know, the night before he was to be crucified, he revealed some things to his disciples about things that were going to happen, things on the other side of certain events, like his upcoming death, his resurrection. He told them about heaven. He told them about his coming back from heaven. John chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to check this out with me. In John chapter 14, he starts explaining to them some things that are going to happen, things on the other side of all the events that are about to take place. And as he walks them through chapters 14, 15, and 16, he describes to them, he gives them some information about things that are on the other side, things that are going to take place. But he doesn't just tell them what is going to happen. Repeatedly, throughout those three chapters, he tells them why he's telling them this information. It's not just to do a parlor trick. It's not just because they're bored and have nothing else to talk about. He's telling them what's going to happen, but he keeps telling them why he's giving them this information. I'm going to jump in in chapter 14. If you look at verse 1, he talks to them about uh, what's about to take place, and he tells them a little bit about heaven and what heaven's going to be like. He talks to them about his future return. But look at verse 29. As he's describing to them things that are going to happen in the future, he says in verse 29, I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. He wants, he wants their faith to increase. He wants them to have confidence in Him. He, he goes on and He says, 
this in verse 30, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He's got no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me. What's he talking about? He's talking about his crucifixion, right? Why is he going to do that? So the world will know that I love the Father. Go down to chapter 16, verse 1. He again says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm telling you what's going to happen before it happens so that when it does happen, you won't abandon your faith so that you'll have courage. It says in verse 4, Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer, but he says I'm not going to be. He's preparing them for his arrest. He's preparing them for his crucifixion. And then verse 33 of chapter 16, if you go to the end of that chapter, he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials, you will have many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You're going to go through some crazy hard things. But Jesus says, I'm telling you this in advance to prepare you so that when it happens, you'll be ready. You'll have courage. You won't abandon your faith. And that's the the question that I am hoping to answer throughout this series. How can we prepare for what's on the other side? There are things on the other side of this curtain that we can't see from over here. I don't know where all of this is going in our country. and, and, And we can't see on the other side of that curtain as far as the moment of death and what that experience is exactly like. But we can prepare for what's on the other side, and we need to know where to find reliable information. Do you ever feel like uh, recently, like you're not getting reliable information in a lot of places? Wouldn't it be good to know that you've got solid, reliable information, especially when we talk about stuff we can't see? How do we prepare for the things that God says are still yet to happen? Right? Jesus was talking to his disciples about his death, his resurrection, his, his second coming, Well, there are some things that are still yet to happen. Things like the rapture, things like the tribulation on the earth, things like the the rise of Antichrist and the beast. And and some of these terms, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you've probably heard those terms. You've heard them maybe in movie references. You've heard them perhaps on the uh, History Channel and some of the programs that they have on there. By the way, Armageddon is not about Bruce Willis blowing up a meteor in outer space. That's not what that's about. And we'll talk about those things throughout this series. But we're going to start with everyone's favorite Sunday morning topic, death. Always a crowd pleaser. Everyone loves to talk about death. I know it's not a popular topic. I know death is not a fun topic. But studies tell us that one out of one people will die. So it's certainly a topic that we can all relate to. A couple verses, Ecclesiastes 8.8 says this, No man has the power over the wind to contain it, right? These hurricanes, uh, uh, these uh, storms that happen, we, we react to them and we rebuild, but we can't contain them. We may even be able to predict uh, that they're coming ashore, but we can't stop it. 
My point is, no one has the power over the day of his death. Just like you have no power to contain the winds of a hurricane or a tornado, you have no power over the day of your death. For, uh, Psalm 49, verse 10, For all can see wise men die and the foolish die just the same. And you leave it all behind. Whatever it is that you've pursued and chased after in this life, you don't take it with you. You and I could try as hard as we want to outrun and avoid COVID-19, and we may succeed. You know, we might not get sick, we might not die from that, and that's fine, that's good, but there's a million ways to die. Looking up some interesting ways to die. <laughs> Be careful when you search those things, it might take you to weird places, but I came across this, uh, this one article about some people in, in like ancient Greek times, right? So way, way back. And there was this one guy, I, I try my best to pronounce his name, Herculitis is my best attempt at how you pronounce his name, but he came down with a case of edema. Edema is when you get fluid uh, in, in your body and you fill up with fluid and your skin gets real tight and you're just really, really miserable. And uh, the way that he decided to deal with his edema was to cover himself in cow manure. I don't know if that was like a, a, a normal thing at that time. Like, hey, doc, I have arthritis, cow manure. You need cow manure. I got the gout, cow manure. For other, I don't know. I don't know if that's what they did, but that's what he did. Covered himself in cow manure, and uh, somehow uh, there, there were a group of dogs that didn't like what he had done and, the smell, and attacked him, and he was mauled to death by dogs. Now imagine, you're already covered in cow manure, and then you die by being mauled to death by dogs. What a terrible, terrible way to die. One that I would not have imagined. How about this? There was another guy, and I won't even attempt his name, same time period back in ancient Greece, and he's, he's outside just enjoying his day, and an eagle had picked up a tortoise. You know, a tortoise took the tortoise up, and what I guess eagles do is they drop them onto the ground, and so the shells break open, and they eat the tortoise, right? So he picks up the tortoise, drops it on the guy's head. Now think about the timing of being in that place at that time to be pinpoint perfect to have a tortoise drop on your skull and kill you. There's a million ways to die. I don't know if you are the kind of person that would want to know the time or nature of your death. I'm kind of curious uh, about this. How many of you would say that if you could, like if I had an envelope and I said inside this envelope is the information about the time and nature of your death. How many of you would open the envelope? Interesting. One, two, okay. How many of you would not want to open the envelope? And the rest of you just, oh, okay, okay. All right, you're committed to it, good. It's interesting to me. Uh, I don't know that I would want to open it either. Either way, whether you're someone who would open the envelope or not, we should want to know what's on the other side of the curtain. The only way that you and I could possibly avoid death is to experience the rapture, to be ready for the rapture and to be alive when it takes place. That's the only way to avoid death. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book back in 2015 called One Minute After You Die. He wrote the book in loving memory of his granddaughter, Sarah, who, was, who had died stillborn at birth. The opening line to this book says this, One minute after you slip, 
behind the parted curtain. You will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Once we go through the curtain, what's on the other side can't be changed. It is eternally fixed. So we had better be very careful about where we're getting our information about what's on the other side of the curtain. We obviously need to be prepared for that day, spiritually speaking, but we better be very careful where we're getting our information from. This morning what I'd like to do is take a look at three sources of misinformation popular in our culture. Misinformation about what happens on the other side of the curtain. I'm using uh, Lutzer's book, One Minute After You Die. Uh, he's got some different examples in that book. I would encourage you to check that out and read the whole thing. We're going to talk about some sources of misinformation that are popular in our culture. And if, and if these things uh, aren't ones that you would ever look to for information, fine. But there are people that you know people that you work with, people in your family that may very well be deceived as far as what they believe is on the other side of this curtain because they have put their uh, understanding or their trust in some of these uh, sources of misinformation about death. So listen carefully, even if you're not uh, uh, deceived or tricked by some of these misinformation sources, people that you know, very well may be, and you'll be prepared to be able to have a really good conversation with them. Here's the first one, channeling or mediums. Have you heard of these types of things, mediums, like Long Island medium? Have you seen commercials for the Long Island medium? There's other, there's other uh, people that claim that they have this special gift to communicate with the dead. They claim that they can give us information about what's on the other side. And oftentimes these mediums can be very convincing because they will give information uh, uh, that only a family member could possibly know. Or maybe they will take on speech patterns or traits of that particular person who has died when the medium supposedly has never met that person. They can be very convincing. Well, let's just start with this question. What does God think about this practice? What does God think about mediums and attempts to contact the dead? What does God think about it? That's probably a really good source of information for us to look at. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to take you to two verses. I think we'll be able to figure out pretty quickly what God thinks about mediums and the practice of trying to contact the dead. Deuteronomy is in the beginning of the Old Testament. So go all the way back to the beginning, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's start there together. And let's jump in in verse 9. When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving to you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs. And let's just stop on that word. Would we agree that the word detestable is not a positive word? So already we know that what we're about to read these customs, these things that people have been doing in this land, these groups of people, 
God is not okay with it. He describes it as detestable. All right, what's the first one? First one says, for example, verse 10, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. So child sacrifice is where we're starting. As a detestable uh, action, a detestable custom that we are not supposed to be a part of. I think we would all agree sacrificing kids is probably bad. As the list continues, though, listen to some of the things that, that God views as detestable, like on the same level as sacrificing kids. The list continues and contains sorcery, interpreting omens, engaging in witchcraft, casting spells, functioning as mediums or psychics. On the same list, sacrificing children. or calling forth spirits from the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So it's not just the practice, but it's the, it's the person is, is not okay with God. It's because other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. One of the reasons that God is bringing uh, the nation of Israel into this promised land. Yes, to give them the land that he promised to Abraham, but also to bring judgment upon the people groups that were doing these things. Verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. There's another passage in Isaiah. That one's pretty clear, but let me just give you one more. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. Did you check that one out? Also in the Old Testament, someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums. Let's ask the mediums who consult spirits of the dead with their whispering and their mutterings, and they'll tell us what to do. So if someone says that to you, the response here in Isaiah is, shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Why are you going to a medium? Shouldn't you ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His Word are completely in the dark. So, I think we could conclude that this practice is something that God condemns. It's something that God finds detestable. I still think there are probably those of you who are wondering, okay, I get that, I wouldn't do it, but does it work? Right? There might be some of you wondering, okay, but do they really do that? Is that really, is it real what they're doing? Legitimate question, I think. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, and I'm not going to read through the whole story. I'll tell you where it's at. You can read it on your own this week. All right? Here's the reference point. 1 Samuel 28. Chapter, you can just read the whole chapter, but it starts there in, in verse 3, goes on through the chapter. In 1 Samuel 28, uh, King Saul was about to go to battle against the Philistines. And the prophet Samuel, who he would normally go to for advice, was dead. And Saul, as he gets ready for this battle against the Philistines, uh, he... He's afraid. He doesn't know what's going to be on the other side of the battle. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out, and he wants some advice. And he had already uh, gotten rid of all the medium, mediums in the land of Israel. 
But God wasn't talking to him. The prophet Samuel was dead, and God wasn't speaking to him because he'd already, his heart was far from God. God had already told him that he was going to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to David. But he's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He wants advice. And so he goes to a foreign land, and he finds a medium in this land of Endor. He finds this medium, and he asks her to contact the prophet Samuel. When you read through the story, here's the important thing to notice. God is the one who brought Samuel back from the dead. This exchange between Samuel and Saul was directly from Samuel to Saul. It was a miracle that God did. The medium didn't do it. The medium didn't uh, speak for Samuel. Samuel didn't speak through the lips of the medium. God did this miracle to prove a point because what was coming was judgment. What was on the other side of that battle, the other side of the curtain, was Saul's judgment. God made that very clear through this exchange between Samuel and Saul. What is happening then with these modern-day mediums, what are they really doing? Well, they're not talking to your dead Uncle Festus. That's not what's happening. And we'll look later on about there's some other uh, really good evidence in the New Testament that we'll look at later on that would support that. There are two things that could be happening. Number one, they could just be deceiving people. No one would ever deceive another person, right? Yeah, they could just be deceiving people. There's lots of ways to do that. Or the other possibility is that of demons. Demons are very real. There is a spiritual world that is unseen, and demons observe people's lives all the time. And they can learn a lot through observation. Now, what would they gain? What would a demon gain by convincing a person that Uncle Festus is just fine on the other side of the curtain, even though he's not? 2 Corinthians 11.14 tells us that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. What would they gain? Uncle Festus had no time for God, didn't have any faith in Jesus. There's no evidence of that in his life. But you go to a medium, and the medium, uh, maybe through uh, observation that a demon gives or whatever, whatever's happening through deception or demon, uh, somehow convinces that person that Festus is fine. And, and it's just on the other side of the curtain is just a place, a, a gathering where we all gather with our family and friends, and it's all good. Well, if a person can be convinced of that, that that is actually what happens on the other side of the curtain, well, then they have no desire, uh, no need of Jesus. Demon wins, person loses. I would back up from all of that and say this. Where do you want to get your information from when it comes to what's on the other side? It's a pretty big deal to know what's on the other side of that so you know you're prepared for it. Do you want to get your information from a deceiver, from a demon? I don't. How about this? How about movies? Is that a great place to get our information about what's on the other side of the curtain? I've been to funerals where people will say things like, well, he's in a better place now. Right? You've probably heard that. He's in a better place now. And then you listen to the eulogy, and you're like, what? Are we talking about the same person? What, what would possibly make you think that this person is in a better place now? Did you not listen to what you just said about him? 
I've heard people at funerals say, well, I guess God needed another angel. That's not even close to what the Bible teaches about what happens to us when we die. 1 Corinthians 6.3 says that believers will judge angels, not become angels. Or this one, I know Aunt Gertrude is looking down on us right now. How do you know that? Where are you getting that information? Because it's not what the Bible teaches. See, a lot of the misinformation that people carry around with them about what happens one minute after we die is directly connected to things that they've seen in movies, things that they've seen on TV. Just because something's entertaining doesn't mean that it's factually accurate. Not a great place to get your information about what's on the other side. How about this? How about near-death experiences? There are a lot of books, a lot of movies about people who are pronounced dead, and they have these out-of-body experiences where uh, they see what's happening maybe in the operating room, or maybe they see what's happening in like the waiting room. Like their body's over in the operating room, but they see what's happening in the waiting room, or maybe they see this uh, bright light at the end of a tunnel or a hallway, and they have this uh, overwhelming feeling of love, and then they wake up, and they tell their story. What's that all about? Are these people ones that we should look to for information about what's on the other side? This is really an interesting one. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul actually tells us uh, about an experience that he had that might fit into this category. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 1. He talks about boasting uh, does no good, but he talks about some of the things that if if, if boasting about our spiritual lives or things that we've experienced, if that was any good, then he would have us beat hands down. That's kind of the point of where he, what he's talking about. But he says this in verse 2, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Something happened in his life 14 years prior to writing this. What was it? He says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but this is what I do know. I know I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. It's really interesting, right? There are some Bible scholars that, the believe, that believe that the timing of this, uh, this episode in Paul's life 14 years prior to writing 2 Corinthians, that it corresponds to an experience that happened in Paul's life in the city of Lystra. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, the apostle Paul was dragged out of the city of Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead. He was presumed dead. And a lot of Bible scholars say the timing of when this was written and 14 years prior and where Paul was, it's very possible that those two things are connected. Now, Paul doesn't connect those dots for us. So we can't make uh, that for certain, but it's an interesting possibility that perhaps even the Apostle Paul uh, experienced some type of near-death experience. Stephen, 
was stoned in Acts chapter 7. Now, that was a, uh, not a near-death experience. That was a death-death experience. He died. But what's really interesting about Acts chapter 7 and Stephen's experience, right before he died, right, he was stoned to death, the first martyr of the church. And right before he died in Acts 7, he says, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God. It is evidence that Stephen saw Jesus before he went to the other side of the curtain. We know that the Bible teaches that our soul does detach from our body at the time of death. So we do know that these are, these are biblical evidences of these types of things that happen. But are all of these stories credible? Just because it's possible doesn't mean it's credible. Betty Eadie wrote about her near-death experience with the other side in a near-death experience that she depicted. And uh, she actually dedicated her book to her Savior, Jesus Christ. So she's got to be credible, right? Her description of a near-death experience is one where she says that Jesus assured her that everyone will be equally bliss will have an equally blissful welcome into the life beyond there is no judgment on the other side of the curtain it's just unconditional welcome for everyone well that doesn't match up with what Jesus taught it doesn't match up with what the bible teaches on a whole in fact Jesus said not everyone who calls me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do my Father's will. He said, there's going to be people who will do good things, and they'll stand before me, and, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. The Bible doesn't just talk about heaven. Uh, there's lots of references to judgment on the other side. There's lots of references to a very real place called hell on the other side throughout the Bible. So we have to be very, very careful when we hear about these near-death experiences, and I will say this, if what that person is saying does not match up with Scripture, ignore it and walk away from it as quickly as possible. If what they're saying matches up with Scripture, I have another question for you. Why does it matter? Why does it really matter to us? What does that, why, is it, why would their account be valuable to you? We already have information from someone who wasn't just near death, but who actually died and then three days later came back from the dead. If there's anyone who is qualified to tell us what we can expect on the other side, it's Jesus. I would rather listen to his description and get information from him than someone else. So what did Jesus reveal about what's on the other side one minute after we die? We'll go to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, Jesus pulls back the curtain, starting in verse 19, and gives us a window, gives us a peek behind the curtain as to what is going on on the other side Luke 16, 19, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, 
who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Well, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels. There's an interesting piece of information about what happens one minute after we die. Did you, did you miss it? The poor man died. He was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. That's a place of paradise. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Verse 25, but Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And Besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. I've got five brothers, and I want to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. And Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So what do we learn? From Jesus. Well, we see that on the other side of the curtain, we are fully conscious. We are fully aware of our surroundings and our experience in that moment. We're able to experience, uh, in some cases, like the rich man, a place of torment and be fully conscious and aware that that's where that person is. Or, a place of paradise and peace and rest and be fully conscious and aware of where we are. Your personality will continue. Your memories will be clear. Did you notice he remembered his brothers? He remembered his life here on this earth? He knew Lazarus. He recognized Lazarus. Somehow he has an understanding. This man who's in torment has has an understanding of Abraham, which he had never met. They were were, uh, born... uh, Many, many years apart. Personal love continues. Even the man in torment loved his brothers enough to want somehow to warn them about what was on the other side. There's some type of body or form to the soul because uh, they're able to speak and see and hear and feel. Next week, we're going to learn about our, as a believer, we get a new, permanent, perfect body when Jesus comes back at the rapture, at the resurrection. We'll talk more about that perfect body. But even in this incomplete state, the believer will be at peace, be free from sickness and disease, and the unbeliever steps into a place of suffering and torment. And probably the most chilling part of this description is this. Did you notice that the position 
is fixed. The position is permanent. There's no going from one side to the other. There's no going back. What's on the other side of the curtain is eternal. So we know that it's, it's better to get our information, not from movies, not from mediums, not even from those who claim that they've had a near-death experience. That can't, uh, the credibility there to me is, is skeptical at best. I can trust Jesus because he died, was, in, was dead for three days, and came back to life. And he's God, so I know I can trust him. So how do we prepare for death? Well, make sure your life insurance is paid. Make sure that you prepay you know, for your funeral and make a nice plan for your, you know, what you want sung at your funeral and what you want you know, people to dress you in. Right? No, that's preparing for your funeral, which is fine, but that's not the same thing as preparing for death. How do we prepare for what's on the other side? John chapter 3. Would you look at this with me? John chapter 3. Most important thing we're going to read all day. John chapter 3, verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but instead have everlasting life. Verse 17. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him and who in Jesus has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. The way we prepare for death is to have faith in Jesus Christ alone, to forgive us of our sin, to to make us right with God, to give us eternal life, to give us His Holy Spirit, to transform our hearts, to transform our lives. Are are you prepared to walk through the curtain? Are you prepared for what's on the other side? Or are you scared to death of death? If so, your next step this morning needs to be faith in Jesus Christ, that you would repent of your sin and trust Him alone, trust Jesus alone to forgive you, based on what He did for you on the cross, based on the fact that He rose from the dead, And you know that he beat death. You know and believe that he beat sin. And you're trusting in him and him alone to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Believer, I want to ask you a question too. Are you scared to death of what may be coming, what we can't yet see in our country, in the world? Are you scared to death of what may be coming for the believer? You look at some of the things that are happening, even in our own country, there's all of this violence happening, there's, there's a thirst for anarchy, there's a thirst for socialism, and, and if you study history, you know that those types of things are not real kind to Christians. You scared to death of that? Is death the worst thing that could possibly happen? Matthew 10, 28 says this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. 
That's not the worst thing that could possibly happen. Going through that curtain and ending up in hell, separated from God for eternity, is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Dying and going to heaven and being with Jesus forever, not the worst thing that could ever happen. How about this persecution? We experience some of that even now, but let's say it gets worse. Should we be scared to death? Matthew 5, 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you, when they persecute you on my account. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets. They killed Jesus. You're in good company. Guys, we're not living through anything that God's people haven't already experienced in the past. Being persecuted, even if it means experiencing death because of our faith, it is not the worst thing that could possibly happen. I'm going to finish with this in Mark chapter 8. You can look at it with me if you'd like, Mark chapter 8. Think about this as a very real moment, because it will be for some. Mark chapter 8, look at verse 34. If anyone want, This is Jesus talking. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Being persecuted even unto death is not the worst thing that could possibly happen. That sounds like a pretty terrible moment. It's important that we prepare for what's on the other side. So I'm going to give you two practical things that you can do. It's nice that you've got some knowledge. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. But what are you going to do with it? Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Prepare yourself by reading good, reliable sources. When anything has to do with uh, theology or the Bible, the internet, I'm just telling you this as a blanket statement, the internet is not the place to go fishing for information. You might land on something good, you might not, you probably won't. It's like the three curtains on Let's Make a Deal. You might find something good behind one of those curtains. It might be really good. Two of those choices, though, are probably going to be really, really bad. Don't go fishing for information on the Internet because you just don't know what you're going to find. There are good, reliable sources. For example, the book that we referenced today that we pulled some information out of is based on biblical evidence. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for books and resources that are based on the Bible. Read your Bible. That's the primary source. That's our primary authority, our final authority on what is true. But there's some really good Christian books uh, like one minute after you die that you can look at. We're gonna look, I'm going to give you lots of resources throughout this series of books that I would encourage you. Next time you're on uh, Amazon and you're buying uh, something you don't really need for 20 bucks, 
Spend 10 bucks on a really good book that's going to benefit you and help prepare you for what's to come. By the way, if you go to our church, you know, we have people listening to our live stream. If you're part of our church family, uh, you have access to Right Now Media, which is an online service that we pay for, that we give away to, uh, to our church-going folks for our family, our church family for free. And uh, on Right Now Media, you can, if you don't have it yet, if you're part of our church family, you can sign up for that today on our website. Right Now Media has uh, a series on that book. Like, so if you're not one who's a really good reader, uh, don't panic. Get on Right Now Media, and you can actually watch uh, the teachings uh, that are pulled out of that book one minute after you die. Lots of really good information in that series. So invest in reliable sources of information. Here's the second thing I would say that you can do with what we talked about today. Take a risk. Take a risk for the sake of the gospel this week. And when I say take a risk, here's what, I'm, what I don't mean. I don't mean uh, go, go to a local hospital and go find some sick person to lick. Don't do that. that. That's a risk, and it might prove that you're not afraid of death, okay? But that's, there's probably better ways to take a risk for the sake of the gospel. So here's, here's a, a very practical thing that you can do this week. Take a risk for the sake of the gospel. Ask someone that you know. Have a conversation. Just open it up. Uh, and you got to look for the right time. You know, when you know, there, there's the wrong time and the right time to bring this up. So pray that God would, through His Spirit, give you uh, confidence that it's the right time to ask the question. But just ask this, what do you, what do you think happens on the other side? What do you think happens one minute after we die? And just listen to what they say. Listen carefully. When I say listen, I don't mean butt in and say, ah, actually that's not. Listen to what they have to say. Have an understanding of what they believe happens on the other side of the curtain. And pray that God would give you uh, the, the courage and the confidence and the understanding to be able to have a, a really good spiritual conversation with that person about what the Bible teaches is on the other side of the curtain and what happens one minute after we die. Take a risk for the sake of the gospel. Be in conversation with someone this week.